Good morning. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. You are in the studios of the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA on the 14th of September, which is a Wednesday, 2022. And you are listening to specifically lecture number 54 in membrane biochemistry. So we were talking about the CFOS transcription factor. Now, I have specifically not gotten into what CFOS has most of its history associated with because I don't want to bring that into this membrane lecture. I will mention it at the end, kind of like as an afterthought or an etc. Because right now we're talking about membranes. So there was a direct confirmation that this protein, CFOS, <coughs> actually is associated with phospholipid biosynthesis and not associated with transcription or indeed the entire level of expression of a gene. Transcription, translation, post-translational modification, um, translocation, sequestration, activation. Right there, the last step, activation, is where CFOS seems to play a role. So the paper that we've been discussing looked at incorporation of P32, the radioisotope P32, from P32 gamma ATP, specifically into phospholipids. So you know that that is a direct mechanism that's going to mean utilizing ATP as a source of phosphoanhydride, right? So that means metabolism is definitely uh, in pursuant of this activation. Now, they looked at it in the presence or the absence of purified CFOS or of its most common um, AP1, that's activation protein one dimer partner, and that is C-JUN, J-U-N. So they took quiescent cell total homogenates or nuclei-free homogenates that contain very small amounts of endogenous CFOS or CJUN that they determine via Western blotting and um, radioisotopic labeling of the protein and pulling it down, determining that it wasn't there. So in both preparations, now they were using these homogenates as an enzyme source. In both preps, that's the quiescent cell to, uh, total homogenate or in nucleus-free or nuclei-free homogenates, both preps, the addition of exogenous CFOS polypeptide to the assay activated phospholipid synthesis, and it did so in a concentration-dependent manner. In fact, maximal activation was obtained at very low levels of CFOS per microgram homogenate protein, about a nanogram per microgram. And that means a concentration of something like um, maybe 10 to the fifth molecules of CFOS in the cell. Okay. So C-JUN that forms both homo and heterodimers with AP1 complexes had zero effect on the rate of phospholipid synthesis. And they assayed the same concentration of CFOS and 10x of CFOS. So clearly CFOS, that particular partner, 
in the transcription factor complex, activation protein complex, which remember works in um, chromatin remodeling, transcription factor activation and expression of genes, right? So it really appears like CFOS is very specific. So that's a necessary component to understand it. So what do we know about the binding domain of CFOS? We know that it must be sufficient for lipid synthesis activation because if you do diverse CFOS deletion mutants, which they did, and they tested them in vitro for the capacity to activate phospholipid and glycolipid biosynthesis, and they looked at a mutant of CFOS, CFOS 1 to 160, that's amino acids from the amino terminus counting from 1 to 160. Now, they contain the basic domain of CFOS, that's the amino acids 139 to 159, but it lacked the domain that's required for an AP1 dimer uh, formation. The leucine zipper domain in particular, which is 165 to 193. Now, although they were unable to form AP1 dimers, this uh, mutant CFOS1 to 160 is as effective as full-length CFOS to activate lipid biosynthesis in vitro and phospholipid biosynthesis both in vitro and in vivo. So this binding domain, this basic binding domain, BD domain, containing mutants, will activate phospholipid biosynthesis, whereas those that lack the domain will not have any effect on lipid biosynthesis in vitro or in vivo. Now, contrarily, the mutant CFOS165 to 380 that does contain the leucine zipper domain up to the C-terminus of CFOS also does not activate lipid synthesis. Going further, FRA1, which is a member of this huge FOS family of transcription factors, shares a highly conserved basic binding domain region with a difference of only two relatively conservative amino acid substitutions. Now, it is capable of increasing phospholipid synthesis and supporting the growth of breast cancer-derived cell lines of a human malignant breast tumor. Remember, CFOS is often considered an oncogene, an oncogenic transcription factor in many human cancers. That's why we study it. There you go. I gave you a little bit of an inlet into what CFOS's major contribution in research literature is about. So you remember why that would work. Okay, again, use logic, categorical logic. I'm telling you that CFOS activates membrane lipid synthesis because of alterations of membrane curvature, which means immediate effects. Now, CFOS also works a transcription factor that induces genes that are related to when you get a pathophysiological state to the progression of cancers, therefore an oncogenic transcription factor, right? Why would those two things go together? Because for cell division, you need membrane biogenesis. And that's exactly what CFOS can do. It can activate membrane lipid synthesis, phospholipid, galactolipid, glycolipid synthesis in situ in the membrane 
to therefore support cell division. And what is an oncogenic event? How do tumors grow by massive cell division? So this is a coherent logic. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. So lipid synthesis activation as mediated by CFOS is achieved, therefore, clearly in a mechanism that is independent of gene expression. So, of course, that allows for the control by the the CFOS to be both a transcription factor and or a regulator of de novo membrane lipid biosynthesis both of which will control metabolic fate of a given cell. So the next question that you have to ask is, what's the mechanism by which CFOS exerts that potential activity? Okay. So here's a couple of things about CFOS. It's content at the level of expression, transcription in particular, but transcription, translation, post-translational modification and degradation are tightly coupled and controlled in the cell. When acting as a transcription factor, CFOS's capacity to bind DNA is strictly controlled by kinase activity, a specific kind of kinase the kinases that add phosphates to serines and threonines. Okay. So serine threonine kinases act on CFOS to regulate its effect on transcription. And in particular, the ERK and RISC kinases phosphorylate CFOS within its C-terminal transactional, transactivational domain. Soon after you get a growth stimulus, remember that nerve growth factor stimulus we were using in the previous lecture to stimulate CFOS, right? And that leads to an increase both in the stability, that phosphorylation, the serine threonine phosphorylation, it increases the stability of CFOS protein and its capability of acting as a transcription factor. Now, concerning the capacity of CFOS to activate de novo lipid biosynthesis, what you need there is the association of CFOS with the endoplasmic reticulum. Remember when we were talking several lectures ago, how there were certain proteins in the mitochondria that would allow for the mitochondrial inner and outer membrane to associate with specific membranes and the outer membrane of the mitochondria to associate with the ER to control what? to control mitochondrial fusion, right? And that has to do with bioenergetics, control of cell cycle directly and indirectly because of the production of ATP. We're talking about electron transport chain, the expression of genes between the mitochondrial genome and the nuclear genome, right? All that cytoepigenetics too is a modifier. Remember the BRD4 description that was just before. Now, it is no lack of consequential um, induction that I led into this lecture from those lectures, you see, so that you see the whole picture of what's going on here. All right. Now, quiescent cells contain 
very low, we already, we've already given you the data, very low levels of CFOS. In addition, this amount of CFOS that's there, which is detectable by Western blotting, is phosphorylated, but it's phosphorylated on tyrosine residues, and it is not membrane-associated. And those cells that have tyrosine phosphorylated cytoplasmic CFOS, non-membrane-associated, have very basal levels of phospholipid biosynthesis. When you induce cells to grow, it promotes the abundant CFOS expression. Remember, that's how we got into this whole thing. CFOS transcription factor expression itself, right? And the CFOS dephosphorylation, which when you dephosphorylate in the tyrosine residue, it results in the association of the polypeptide to endoplasmic reticulum membranes. And that then leads to the activation. Yes, of course, phospholipid biosynthesis, because it's where it occurs, subcellular location, right? In the endomembranous system. So C-CIRC was identified as the first kinase and a protein called TC45PTP as the first phosphatase that specifically phosphorylate and dephosphorylate the tyrosine residues on C-FOS. The C-CIRC has a lot of activity. It's considered another oncogene, right? C-CIRC and C-FOS are often given full decorated coverage in tumor literature because they work in tandem. C-CIRC phosphorylates C-FOS and C-FOS is activated. So furthermore, I can tell you that P32 uptake and label in the phospholipids from gamma P32 ATP was measured and only dephosphorylated from the, tyros- from the tyrosine residue, was capable of activating phospholipid biosynthesis. Subcellular fractionation showed non-membrane-bound phosphorylated CFOS in opposition to the membrane-bound dephosphorylated CFOS. Okay? So all these experiments were done. Uh, that subcellular fractionation was actually done uh, via centrifugation, of course. And then isolating with the antibody and running this stuff, running running it through LC mass spec, right? So the bottom line is it's very simple. When C-CIRC phosphorylates C-FOS, it leaves an ER. When the TC45 TPT phosphatase, PTP phosphatase, removes that phosphate from the tyrosine residue, CFOS translocates to the ER. So if you look at percent respect to control, when you're just looking at buffer in the solution, the amount of activity of CFOS, okay, is, it's going to be just that 100%. But if you add um, the phosphatase, you go up about two and a half fold of activity. Okay. So if you have non-phosphorylated CFOS added, and if you, uh, in terms of just percent activity, just the phospholipid synthesis, you will more than double the activity of phospholipid synthesis. And if you take 
phosphorylated CFOS and remove the phosphate, you get the same two and a half fold increase in activity of phospholipid synthesis. So clearly it's the dephospho form in association with the ER that's regulating the increase in the activation of phospholipid biosynthesis. So the regulation of that reversible post-translational modification of that phosphorylation of CFOS is imposed specifically on that dephosphorylation step. So the induction of cells to re-enter growth with mitogens promotes the translocation of the phosphatase, that TC45PTP, that's a phosphatase, from the nucleus to the cytoplasm. And then the activation of this phosphatase and the concomitant CFOS TC45 complex formation results in C-phos dephosphorylation. In fact, if you knock down the phosphatase, it impairs the dephosphorylation of C-phos. And what do you think? It impairs the activation of phospholipid synthesis and glycolipid synthesis. Okay. No activation for the phosphorylation of C-phos is seen when cells are induced to re-enter growth. And that indicates that the basal activity of that kinase C CERC is sufficient to maintain the small amounts of CFOS in quiescent cells in its phosphorylated, non-phospholipid activating state. So we should emphasize that tyrosine and the other phosphorylation, serine threonine, are eliciting essentially contradictory effects on the different activities of CFOS. Whereas the first kind, the tyrosine, represses non-genomic activity, the latter will activate transcriptional activity because it'll allow CFOS to bind with a, to generate a, a dimer with AP, to make AP1, right? The activation protein one, which is the transcriptional regulator, got it? Dimer. So it's already been shown that the expression of CFOS alone does not determine biological outcome it promotes. Rather, it always depends on the subtranscription factor regulation of cancer works too. It always depends on some post-translational modification, usually because of a mutation in the protein, right? And that occurs with CFOS together with the duration and the quant and intensity, or that is, the quality and the quantity of the stimulus imposed on the cell. Remember those two phenomenological categories. On the pathway of the synthesis of PPIs, the in vivo activity, okay, the PPIs are phosphatidyl and phosphates, the activity of CDP diacylglycerol synthase and phosphatidyl and kinase type 2 it's P14K2 alpha, which are the first and the third steps of the biosynthesis of those lipids. When they're activated by exogenous CFOS, okay, no activation of the second step is shown, and that's catalyzed by the enzyme called PI synthase, phosphatidylinositol synthase. Also, you don't get any activation of the third step, that is P14K2 beta. So upon C4, 
CFOS edition, the VMAX, now we're even doing kinetics here, of the, uh, and this is, the VMAX is basically a um, quantitative description of the amount of available active enzyme. The VMAX of the two activated enzymes doubled with no significant changes in the KM. There's nothing to do with substrate, right? Which would be the precursors in that phospholipid biosynthetic pathway. It has to do with doubling the VMAX, which means that you're activating the polypeptide because it's as if you were increasing the amount of the protein. You see, that's how it works. That's how when you add, when you, when you change VMAX, it's the effective concentration of the polypeptide as an enzyme and enzyme kinetics driving the reaction to a higher maximum velocity. Don't you know your Michaelis mentioned kinetics? Of course you do. Now, the activation of a particular metabolic step in retinal ganglion cells exposed to light with respect to those in the dark, again, was examined. So higher phosphatidic acid phosphatase 1 and 1-acylglycerol-3-phosphate acyltransferase activities were observed in retinal ganglial cells from animals exposed to light as compared to those that were maintained in the dark. By contrast, no dark light differences were found for those enzymes involved in phosphatidylinositol biosynthesis or phosphatidylserine biosynthesis. And particularly for phosphatidylserine, PSS is one and two. So the treatment of the retinas with CFOS abrogated the activation of those enzymes. So in the pathway of glycolipid synthesis, the activities of the glucosyl ceramide galactosyl transferase 1 and the lactosyl ceramide sialyl transferase 1 are unaffected by CFOS, whereas CFOS specifically activates the enzyme glucoceramide synthase. And the product of that is glucosyl ceramide. That is indeed, if you know the pathway, like I do, that's the first glycosylated in intermediate in the pathway of the synthesis of glycosphingolipids. Yes, indeed. So the activation leads to a global increment in gangliocide labeling. And that occurs with enzymes of the pathway for phospholipid synthesis because of the CFOS doubling of the VMAX of the glucosyl ceramide synthase with no effect on its KM. So the way that this CFOS is working on these lipid enzymes, it's, it's increasing their VMAX. So how do you, how does another protein work in trans the increase the VMAX of another polypeptide. It has to do it. This is a very subtle and very cool thing about this. You might think that CFOS is acting transcriptionally because if it acts transcriptionally to turn up those proteins, you'd be doubling or tripling the amount of polypeptide. That would be an expression effect, but that's not what's happening. So how do you affect the relative concentration of the enzyme when you don't change the actual amount in terms of you know, nanomoles of the enzyme 
that are appearing in the cell or in the membrane. You do it by activation. So you activate the protein so that the protein that's there doubles in its biological activity or agency. Thus, you increase the Vmax. You understand? So it's as if you doubled the amount of polypeptide without going through the long process of inducing chromatin retailering, transcriptional activation, transcript processing, translation, post-translational modification, and ultimately setting it up into the membrane. All you have to do is activate the polypeptide so that it's double or triple the activity. That's how these things work. So this is even bringing in, again, enzyme kinetics. So this makes perfect sense. Because if you ask, what are the mechanism of this polypeptide? It's changing the kinetic parameters of these enzymes I've been mentioning to you in specific glycolipid and phospholipid pathways. So that certain lipids are increased in the membrane. Now, what will that do to the membrane? That will change everything in terms of signal transduction cascade including the ability for the membrane to transpose its effect on cell cycle and on communication relative to hastening cell cycle or interrupting and canceling it. Hence its association with tumorogenesis. See how that works. So just like CFOS is associated with the ER, so also has been the activity of the enzymes it activates, which are either totally or at least partially linked to the ER. So what seems to be happening is that the localization of that phosphatidylinositol 4 kinase 2 alpha must not be sufficient enough to be able to enhance its activity relative to moving it to the active site in the ER. But the glucosylceramide synthetase, which is typically a Golgi enzyme, was already reported in the literature to be found in the pre-Golgi, that would be cis-Golgi, ER membrane during this during the translocation of membranous fragments generating from the ER to the Golgi to the plasma membrane and that transduction teleological um, movement. Furthermore, glucosylceramide synthase is unique among the glycolipid glycosyl transferases because its catalytic site is always oriented toward the cytosolic phase rather than the luminal face of the ER. Now, what does that tell you? It's gearing up for the Golgi, right? Because it's moving towards, it's migrating out of the ER towards the Golgi. So it's going to be not to the luminal side of the ER, but it's going to be flipped out, right, to the cytosolic side of the ER. How did that work? Remember the flipases? Remember what phospholipids will allow you to cause membranes to flip over because of changes in curvature. So what's going on with the activation is indeed a curvature phenomenon, right? as we've been saying all along.
So as no activation of CFOS by any enzyme outside of the ER was really ever described, it suggested that the general lipid synthetic activation by CFOS is actually induced by increasing the activity of key enzymes that translocate it to the ER. And we just covered that fact about the phosphatase. Okay. So now you got this picture completely understood, hopefully. You have dual activities of CFOS. It'll activate glycerolipid synthesis, and it will also act as a transcription factor. Okay. And if it acts the transcription factor, it's not going to be dephosphorylated because if it's dephosphorylated tyrosine residue, it's going to be phosphorylated by CERC on the serine threonine residues and sits in the nucleus. But if it's phosphorylated on the tyrosine residue, that also will be allowed. But if it's dephosphorylated on the tyrosine residue, remember by the PTP enzyme, by binding to it, CFOS will be triggered to bind to the ER where it will carry out the, the synthesis for starting from phosphatidylethanolamine to CDP diacylglycerol to phosphatidylinositols. Okay, that will occur. So you'll get phosphatidylinositols and you'll also get glycosyl ceramide synthases when CFOS moves in that direction. But you won't get enough of the PI activation because you need both the alpha and the beta of those two subunits for PI kinase activity. So there'll be certain phosphatidylinositols made, but not others. That's the point. See, that's the point. Not all of them will be working 